The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by the spin off with help from Callahan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Pound. There are a few things that are truly universal among people, but hating paying big booking fees for online tickets must be one of them. It can be such a rort. Huge fees for things like delivering the ticket by email, surprise extra costs at the end, a big add-on to ticket prices. Well, one company saw this big pain point, the big margins being made by the big players, and decided to make a big change. Humanitix was started by two friends in Sydney, who pulled resources and set off to make a ticket booking platform that would donate 100% of profits to charity, and use the power of better tech to deliver lower costs to the customers and clients, so they could win market share and do more good. Their idea won the interest of Google and Atlassian social good funds, gaining millions in grant funding. They've been joined by a Kiwi CEO, Georgia Robertson, who's running their growth and responses as they've recalibrated for online events in COVID and scoped the US market. Georgia was a lawyer interested in tech and social good, and the combination led her to this company, where she soon found herself facing a serious cancer challenge. To talk that experience, her journey, the company and its mission, and what's next, CEO Georgia Robertson of Humanitix joins us now. Tenakwe, thank you for being here. Kia ora, Simon. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Uh-huh. Hey, tell me about, um, yeah, what got you into um, law as you were doing some really cool stuff in law before coming into this company? Hey, I loved being a lawyer before Humanitix. I had always wanted to do work that made a difference in the world. And I think that was really heavily influenced by my family and my upbringing. I grew up in rural mid-Canterbury in Ashburton. Uh, my mum is a teacher, my dad's a lawyer, and my uh, grandparents are in farming. So I'd really come from a you know, family environment that really prioritised community and a really hard work ethic and working towards things, I guess, that were bigger than just yourself. So I really, really admire the work that they've put in. My mum is fiercely passionate about what she does in helping educate young people, and my dad you know, he's not just a lawyer, he runs his own firm, but he also is involved in tons of community projects and leading a lot of work in the area. And my grandparents have always, on both sides, really focused on also using their resources, you know, for just beyond the family, for, for doing good in the world. And so 
I guess I had no question in my mind um, as I went through school um, in Ashburton through to university at Otago that I wanted to be in law. I really wanted to advocate for people and make a difference in the world. And then I guess throughout university, I was always involved in a lot of extracurriculars. I was part of the executive of Ignite Consultants and that opportunity really, I guess, broadened my thinking in terms of the different ways that you can leverage your skill sets to make an impact in the world. That was really bringing groups of students together to consult to charities and solve problems for them. And I absolutely loved that work as well. And then when I got inside law, I discovered that I just absolutely loved business. I loved corporate law. And that really was interesting to me because I hadn't necessarily seen that that would be my, I guess, trajectory. But I got in there and I absolutely loved it. And as I guess as part of what we were doing, um, I identified that, you know, this new area of business, businesses that weave impact into their operating models, um, was this huge area of potential and that we could position ourselves as a firm in that space. And so alongside, you know, normal duties, that was where my focus was. Yeah, that's so cool, hey, because I I don't know, when I was coming through high school and uni, I guess guess there was kind of a bit of a thought that business was maybe – um, you know, a bit boring or not that creative or a bit rule-bound or a bit conservative or not the place that you went if you wanted to do good. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've found so exciting as I've become a great big business nerd is this mm. area of, you know, using business to be creative mm. and, and to solve problems and create good impact. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think we're in a time where we have enormous challenges in the world to meet. And I truly, truly believe that business is one of the greatest levers to help solve some of those challenges. It has the range and the leverage, the resources, the flexibility um, and the leadership of thinking um, to be able to really bring ways of thinking and models and resources and capital all together. Um, And I think, you know, through collaboration with government and public sector, charities, um, science, all the other, I guess, industries, we really need to bring it all together to solve these problems. But I think that business has this enormous amount of flexibility that potentially government and especially charities, which is part of why humanitics exists, um, don't necessarily have. (laughs) <laughs> Early in your career, you got involved in board work and governance um, at that kind of mm-hmm. intersection of business and charity. Hey, t- tell me about getting involved uh, with Youthline. Yeah, Youthline's a phenomenal organisation. They do such an important job serving youth in New Zealand. We have some seriously disproportionate statistics of youth suicide and mental health in New Zealand and being the safe place that people can call in those moments when you feel as if there are no other options, that's amazing, amazing work that you find do. And it was such an honour to be able to serve. I was on the board of Youthline Central South Island, so we serviced from Nelson all the way down the West Coast, all across Canterbury um, to the Otago border. So we had an enormous area that we serviced and we really did punch above our weight in terms of the number of calls and infrastructure that um, that particular part of Youthline um, does for the country. I got into that because it felt really aligned for me. I had had 
you know, experience of people inside my family and, and close friends and contacts who had at other times or another experienced varying levels of mental wellness as we all as humans have the capacity for. And at the same time, from my law context, looking at how can I use my skill sets to do good, but also I'm young, I'm really hungry, I really want to get involved in learning as much as I possibly can. I'm advising you know, C-suite executives um, in my day-to-day role. Um, how can I learn new perspectives of problem-solving disciplines around governance in the boardroom? And law is a really great skill set and segue into doing that. And so I was involved with the Institute of Directors. Um, I applied as one of their programs and I actually didn't get the thing that I initially applied for, but this opportunity came up and they thought the fit was really good. So that was how I secured that placement because those first couple of governance roles are really hard to secure and you know, charity governance especially is one of the more accessible segues into learning more. Yeah, it's totally wild when you get into the charity sector and you look at how much energy from such great people who got into the space in order to deliver good and impact and whatever the service of the organisation is. But how much of the organisation's energy just has to go into fundraising and on this constant hamster wheel of grant writing and you, you, you know all, all the rest of it to try and get um, money in rather than being able to put all that energy going forward, which is another reason that, that social good and business is so exciting, isn't it? Because if you can bake it into the business model, you're not always going out and you know, with your hat out. That's absolutely right. And that's exactly what humanitics is. And mm. what's most exciting about what we're doing is you know, solving these challenges that the charity sector faces, which is sustainability and scale, the ability to scale. So through operating a technology platform that is entirely motivated for humanity, that's what we're doing. We're reinvesting in humanity through our business operations. And that's, I think, just such an exciting area of business. Yeah. T- tell me about what um, what does Humanitics do? I mean, what, what's the thing you tell uh, friend, friends at the barbecue? Yeah. So, yeah, Humanitics. So we, we're a technology social enterprise. That's what we are at our core. And we are bringing people together to inspire and invest in humanity. And we do that through tech disruption in the events ticketing industry. So I guess one of the things that we really believe is that you know, businesses that align profit and purpose have enormous potential to solve some of these challenges that we were talking about um, earlier. And so the way that we do that is we provide this beautiful tech and software to event organisers to use so that they can manage their events, they can sell tickets, they can manage their attendees. Um, it's a full end-to-end platform for event management. And then creating this beautiful experience that people love to go to. And and what we do is we reinvest 100% of the profits we make from booking fees into education programs for disadvantaged kids all across New Zealand. How how did it start? As um, I imagine it takes quite a lot of building out to get a platform that does all of the, the, you know, the tech platform that does all of that better than the big guys so that you're able to actually win win share from them. Yeah, so we we started very analytically. None of us woke up one day and thought, ah, oh, events ticketing, that's, that's what I want to do with my life. Um, it was very much 
from the perspective of our co-founders, having this really analytical approach to what is the right business model to be able to deliver the scale of social change that we want to deliver. And for that, we knew that technology was the best force that we could harness in order to do that. So that was one of the things that really excited me about what we're doing with Humanitics initially. And then it was what industry? Um, We need an industry with massive scale. We need an industry that has all of the ingredients for disruption in a social sense. With a business hat on, it makes a lot of sense in events ticketing because what you have is a really, really, really wide market of event organisers. There's so many different verticals within that. Everything from yoga workshops and cooking classes through to conferences, gala dinners, festivals. Um, And so because that's so broad um, and it's also a really saturated market, um, there's some really big advantages to going into an industry like that because you can achieve that level of scale. What's also interesting about events ticketing is that as you alluded to in the introduction, um, costs haven't come down for end users. What typically happens in business is that as you achieve scale um, and as you achieve economies of scale, that usually results in savings for the customer, which translates to the end user, who in our case is ticket buyers. But that hasn't happened in the events (laughs) ticketing industry, which means there's super profits. So what we're doing is we're going after this enormous profit pool that exists. It's a billion dollar profit pool around the world and saying, well, what if we could redirect that into things that actually shift the needle in our society? Yeah. And like like you say, like economies of scale or technological advances, things like emails instead of having to send things out in the mail. And, you know, these, these, the big players have kept doing, you know, not in all cases, but in many cases, putting fees on things like delivery of an email and that kind of thing. It really creates a customer base who are ripe for an alternative, isn't it, if they can see that they're not getting a very good deal. Mm -hmm. And that's what people love about our model and why we've been able to grow and scale our social impact so aggressively is because it really resonates. People, like, I guess there's this huge momentum for humane technology around the world. And what's been super exciting is seeing how much that resonates with the Kiwi audience. We've just been blown away by the uptake. We've done over 5,000 live events. We've delivered over $850,000 worth of social impact across Australasia. And what's beautiful about that is we get to talk to people and say, We've got this amazing piece of technology that's designed to give you all the tools that you need and more. We're first and foremost a technology platform. That's how we've grown. We know that, you know, we can't just rely on being a socially good business model. It's actually about being the best in our category. And then actually it doesn't cost anymore. In fact, we're saving people money through the fees. And then they find out that on top of that, the fees are also doing something really good in the world. So all of a sudden people feel really excited about getting behind that. And for the event organisers who are putting on these events, all of a sudden it's a way at no extra cost to them to weave social impact into their events as well. And they really get to talk about that and speak to that. So it's really um, a win-win-win for everybody. And when you say it costs less, that was the thing that I found interesting looking into this, was that it's not just a kind of apples for apples, you know, we'll take the same fee that... um, the big players would, and we're going to do good stuff with it instead. Actually, kind of twenty odd percent cheaper than um, comparable services for the 
event organiser. So that seems to be a pretty clear value proposition. Yeah, it's it's a no-brainer. Yeah, wild. And so how did it get going? Like, tell, tell me about the story of the friends in Sydney. Um, and yeah, kind, kind of cool. Like, um, I, I saw mm. something about them maybe um, pooling salaries or something. Like, how did they get going? Yeah. So Josh and Adam are so inspiring. They're best mates and they both are incredibly incredibly established and intelligent people. One of the things that I was most excited about in working with them is just each got this enormous intellectual range. Um, I was like, wow, I I just want to learn from you and work with you and, and be a part of this. And I think it goes a lot to who we are and how we do business and in, in that we're really real and that we're just really bold about what we do. They always knew that they wanted to build something that created scalable a scalable difference in the world and it was just a matter of figuring out what the best approach for that was. And so they, over a handshake, agreed that, you know, when they had the idea, they'd go all in. And that's what it takes um, from every single person involved in Humanitics. You know, it's it's all in on building the stream and you have to be a little bit crazy in order to do that. And so that's what they did. It made a load of sense. Adam's background is in engineering um, and consulting and tech. And so he quit his job and worked on Humanitics while Josh retained his job in hedge funds and they shared Josh's salary to make it work. And I guess it's it's that level of skin in the game to go all in on a dream that it takes to build Humanitics to where it is now. And that attitude persists across the entire team. It's it's baked into who we are as an organisation. It's just being super resourceful, super scrappy and being focused on on what you need to do to get the job done that you're there to achieve. And along the way, they had some pretty amazing kind of votes of confidence from big social good funds with Atlassian's um, and also Google, a Google kind of impact uh, fund, giving them kind of a million odd dollars each, uh, which is which is a pretty good vote of confidence. Um, <laughs> tell me about yeah. the role of, um, of foundations and <laughs> impact funds in the business. Yeah. What's really innovative about Humanitics is – not just that we are disrupting the events ticketing industry with Humane Tech, it's also that we're doing philanthropy and business in a new way. So from the get-go, knew that we were going to be a charity. We are a registered charity. We are not, we have no equities, which means we have no shareholders to pay. And that's really important because it means that we don't have to contend with competing interests between our social mission and delivering shareholder value. Um, So it makes it really clear and it means there's no dilution on what our mission is here to do. The corollary of that, of course, is that we don't fit the typical models for raising money. Um, We don't fit into a venture philanthropy model. We don't fit into angel investment. And a lot of impact investment funds are looking at a dual deliverable of capital return and social return. And so we are quite unique in terms of what we're asking for. And what we're really innovating is this new type of way of funding enterprise. And so we've been incredibly lucky that... As we were growing and testing this, we attracted the attention of the Atlassian Foundation, who are one of our core partners. Um, And this is the same um, view that Next Foundation here in New Zealand have taken when they helped us launch here in New Zealand. And that is that it's this form of doing philanthropy in a really strategic way, in a way that is saying, what's the most effective use of this money? Um, And how do I maximise that? And we did this project with BCG, which was really interesting, to measure 
the impact and how do we speak and articulate what this impact model is because it's such a new space and we really are pioneering at the front of it. And so what we found was that we've got a 4,000 times multiplier on our invested capital in a social return, which means that when you're talking to a foundation, if they're going to put a million dollars with a cause directly, that's a million dollars invested. But if you put it with Humanitex, because we're operating our ticketing platform, it's a game of leverage. And so we can leverage our platform and leverage that million dollars into four or $10 million down the line over a year on year view. So that's really, really exciting to me. It also means that for every single one of us inside the organisation, you know, we've got 40 times more impact in working in Humanitics and building Humanitics than we could operating alone. So that's really exciting. And then in terms of our relationship with Google, we actually won the Google Impact Challenge, which was a popular vote. And what that was about was our work in improving accessibility and inclusion at live events. So... Most of the time we're talking about our social impact as, you know, the investment into education projects and the fact that that's what our organisation does. We reinvest our profits into education. But we're also pioneering in the event space how we can improve accessibility and inclusion, noticing that lots of people with accessibility needs were dropping out of attending live events. And so using digital cognitive technology and the way that we design our platform for inclusion, that was what Google were really excited about. And so we won a million dollars in grant funding from them for that work. Oh, that's so cool. And and that move, um, yeah, that, that move to online inclusion must have been, um, y- you know, super important during the year of COVID. The year of COVID. Yeah. Yeah, the black swan event for the events ticketing industry, that's for sure. Yeah, that was that was a crazy experience. And it was interesting, you know, seeing some industries do really well out of the back of COVID. But, you know, our industry was one of the worst impacted in the world and around the world. The industry hasn't yet recovered. It's been really interesting operating in New Zealand and Australia where, thanks to our approaches, we have been able to continue to host events. But, you know, as that happened and, you know, the world went into lockdown, we lost our revenue overnight. And so tons of people were in the same position. I mean, for us as the platform that facilitates events, we were losing our revenue, but our event organisers themselves were the ones losing their livelihoods. And so for us, our focus really shifted. I mean, we already are obsessively helpful to our customers, which is quite rare in this industry that we have that human touch point, but we're in contact with them all the time. So it was a matter of us looking and saying, how can we support our customers through this awful period of time where everyone's navigating immense uncertainty? Yeah, one of the key things was people migrating their events online as our economies migrated online. And so we did things like building our virtual event hub so that event organisers could still deliver these beautiful experiences and streamline the online experience. And yeah, I think it was it was a very interesting time. I think what we were all trying to do was control the uncontrollable. And I guess COVID really broke down that illusion of that sense of control that we have. And yeah, really just highlighted as well, I think that human desire to connect people just dying to get back together and and be in events. And so what we found is as the COVID crisis started to 
subside here in New Zealand and events started turning back on. It was just so exciting to see people rallying around event organisers coming back online. And I think the other interesting lesson that we learned through COVID was also just how interconnected everything is. And we all are and how, you know, the choices that we make in our day-to-day lives are connected. Um, And that can stack up to massive action in the case of something like a humanitics. Kia ora, I'm Sophie. And I'm Simon. And I'm Alice. And together we host the spin-off's food podcast, Dietary Requirements. Join us each month as we explore a vast culinary landscape from the gourmet Ooh la la. to your more hearty tucker. Kiwi onion dip, anyone? Everything's on the table in Dietary Requirements. Subscribe wherever you listen to all your other favourite podcasts. And so, with your journey with the company, you came on board, came on to be CEO launched in New Zealand, led the changes around COVID, moving to an online model. Uh, And then after all of this, a very big couple of years, had a really serious health issue pop up. Tell me about that. I did. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very much still climbing down the other side of that mountain. I, yeah, got a call. I had um, a gland on my neck that had been a bit flary for a while and I thought that obviously something's a bit off, check your engine lights um, and just sit out of an abundance of caution and wanting to be in really good health because you really need to be if you're wanting to you know, perform at your best. And so, yeah, from going to the doctor and investigating a few things, eventually got to the point where I'd been referred to specialist, a few more investigative tests and then was shocked to find out that Actually, what I had was a type of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and that set in motion an incredibly challenging season of life where I had to undergo treatment and was presented with, you know, questions around what that course of action would be. When you get a diagnosis like that, you have to understand the biological nature of the disease that you have, how it behaves and how that influences you. And then also the staging of it, which is how far advanced is it and in the context of the nature of your specific disease, what does that actually mean? Because not all cancers are created equal in that sense. And mine was a blood cancer, which behaves particularly uniquely. And then it was a matter of saying, okay, taking all of that into consideration, where my life is at, what's the course of action? And so I had two options. I had one option, which was watch and wait Um, and see what happened and perhaps respond to it over time or undergo treatment and give myself a fighting chance to get it under control so I didn't have to live with it for the rest of my life, which to me was an easy choice because at the time I was was 28 and I, of course, wanted to give myself as much runway as possible to be able to do all of the things that I want to do. So for me, that then kicked off some preemptive fertility treatment. I was fortunate enough that I had time up my sleeve to actually be able to go through that process of preserving and giving myself that extra insurance policy. And then I underwent radiotherapy and then had a small break and then six months of chemo. And so that took me from the last 12 months until now. And I got clearance that I'd had a full metabolic response in March this year, which was such a relief. And sharing that story and I guess, you know, helping to bring awareness to staying in a in, in a big role and working with the company and 
and sharing that with everyone. Tell me about why that's important to you. For me, I have put a lot of thought into how I talk about this, whether I should talk about this, um, in what contexts, and also how I relate to this experience as well, because it's an enormous life experience to face your mortality and to have to go through such a relentless schedule. It's not just the fact that you're facing the fact you have a life-threatening illness. It's you spend six months unable to sleep without medication. You have all of these secondary side effects that happen as a consequence of the treatment that you're under. So it really does become your entire world. And I was very fortunate that I was even in a position to be able to work and manage this treatment. And sometimes I think that I was a little bit crazy to want to do that. But for me, my work is so important and especially what we're building with Humanitics. And we were in crisis mode in the sense that the most serious event that could possibly happen in our industry was happening and we are trying to scale a growing business. It was an enormous challenging operating environment as it was. And so for me, it was super important to continue that work. And it also gave me a, a lifeline in some regards. It was my ability to hold on to that part of my identity through a really challenging experience and have purpose and meaning in my life as well. So we very much managed it in a way that, you know, everyone was winning. So I would go away and have my treatment and then I'd come back into the fold and we just resourced it amongst the team to make it work. Thankfully, our team are just absolutely phenomenal. And that authenticity around showing up as your full self um, in work and really walking the talk and that was really important. And so I was very, yeah, I was very, very lucky that the team were incredibly supportive of that. I think what happens with experiences like this is that it really bifurcates your life in two ways. It's everything that happened and everything that you were in your life up to that point and then you're not the same once that happens. And I knew that it would be really challenging and I knew that it was the type of situation that, you know, you I couldn't deal with alone. So I've assembled a massive team around me of health professionals um, who I still work with to this day. Because for me, it was how do I get through this experience in a way that I'm doing my best possible, I, I'm my best possible self and I'm handling this in the most healthy way possible. I didn't want to get to the point where a year, two years after this experience, I'm then hit with having to process it. I wanted to process it in live time and make sense of it. And I guess I've waited a decent amount of time before speaking about it publicly because I wanted to make sure I had the right language for myself and how I relate to this experience. And also something else that was really important for me, I guess, was making sure that you know anyone who hears this story who can't do what I did throughout that doesn't feel like their experience is invalid or less than or that they're not doing enough because of that. Everyone's experience is their own. And I was very lucky with the treatment options available to me that I was able to make decisions like this. But it was certainly a very difficult time of life. Oh, what an extraordinary couple of years. And as a kind of um, final thought, yeah, and, and I imagine you must have had, you know, really interesting responses from people to that experience as whenever anyone faces something like that, they, they want to hear about other people's experience and how things went and how people approached it. And like you say, there's not a single uh, a single response. But, yeah, it must have been an amazing um, experience to share and hear from people too. Yeah, absolutely. It's opened up a lot of conversation. And I think, 
No, it's really challenging because you feel like when you are leading something that, and I and I think this was one of the early mistakes that I made in coming into Humanitics. I felt like I had to have it all figured out, and I felt like I was failing if I couldn't figure something out or if I didn't instinctively know something as a fact, which is interesting because I think in law you're the content expert and you're the procedural expert. So people come to you to find out hard facts, whereas when you go into business, you are testing everything. You're constantly, constantly evaluating what you're doing. Is this the right way of doing things? How can I do this better? How can we improve this? And opening yourself up and being vulnerable and allowing yourself to ask for help is the greatest thing ever. You're so much stronger for it to know and learn what questions to ask and to be unafraid with asking them. That's actually what has been the most impactful thing is actually saying, okay, cool, well, I may not have all the answers, but I'm damn sure going to do my best to find them in the right place. And so really reframing that was massive. And I think the same thing applies to when you're in a position where you're going through something really challenging. I think cancer in itself is a very specific and awful and unfair thing that happens to a lot of people in a lot of families. But there's no possible human emotion that you can experience as a human that is unique to you. Emotions are universal. It doesn't matter what set of circumstances triggered that. And so it really does open up your ability to relate to other people because you can say, okay, cool, well, we're going through similar experiences or feeling similar things. And you can connect with that. And I think having that authenticity, um, yeah, it helps you have better empathy for other people. And I think being able to appreciate the context that people are coming from often makes you a lot more strong. And being able to set that aside when it matters and really connect authentically with people is is an enormous way as to how humanitics itself has grown. And tell me, as, yeah, as, as a final thought here, what will success be for you and for Humanitics as uh, it's been a big couple of years for the business and um, that's before even uh, scaling into the biggest markets. Yeah, I think what's so exciting about Humanitics is that I guess um, we look at humane tech as this engine to reinvest in humanity in a scalable and sustainable way and I think If Humane Tech is the engine, the events ticketing industry is our vehicle. But that's what it is. It's a vehicle and an engine to achieve what we're trying to do. Our vision for what the world can look like and how we tackle problems is, you know, imagine if all businesses, structures and systems that we operate in all were designed in a way that they serve humanity. And I think that's what we are. And that's, to me, at least what leadership is as well. It's you're there to serve and the bigger, higher up you go, the more people you're serving and the more different angles that you're serving to. And that for us is success at a global scale is really leading the change in how businesses can operate and the potential social impact that can be delivered at a large global scale. And I think, yeah, I've I've been reflecting a lot on what success is for myself personally and in my own ambition there is... Um, someone who's I've taken a lot of inspiration from is a woman called Suleika Jayawad, and she wrote a book that came out recently called Between Two Kingdoms, which is this idea of the kingdom of 
the well, which is what most of us have the good fortune to operate in, in the kingdom of the sick. And the fact that there's two worlds, but there's this liminal space in between. And I think that's where I've spent a lot of my time. And as I coming out of that experience and rebuilding, and I say rebuilding deliberately because I don't think you ever recover to what you were before. You know, you, you're not the same person. You get to decide what that next person is and how you rebuild your life from there. But I have noticed that my ambition has bumped up against this health experience where do I have to now temper my ambitions against the fact that I may be limited through health? And I think the answer is no, which is phenomenal. But yeah, for me, I think I've done a lot of searching around what does success look like? And I think success is the same thing it has always been. It's how do I serve and lead and disrupt in business in ways that are delivering good for humanity. Um, and so that's you know, the challenge that we continue to chase. Ah, that's so cool. Well, thank you for sharing your story today. That's Georgia Robertson, the CEO at Humanitics. Kia ora. Kia ora, thank you. Thank you so much to Tina Zilla for producing. And thank you very much for having us along in your ears and listening. Thank you. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by the spin-off and Callahan Innovation. From the spin-off podcast network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.